Kids, this morning we are going to be talking about reconciliation. Can anybody tell me what reconciliation means? Yes. To be brought back into the family of God. That is, a, that is great. From the biggest kid in the room. Uh, we, we get that. Yeah. Uh, so so let, me, let me give a couple of illustrations, kids, to try and help us understand what reconciliation is, okay? Um, if, I, if you were selling me boxes of cookies, let's say you were selling me boxes of cookies, and I wanted to buy five boxes of cookies. And so you gave me five boxes of cookies, and each box of cookies you said was five dollars. And so I gave you twenty dollars. How did we do? Not great. But, but I wanted to buy the cookies, right? And you wanted to give me five boxes of cookies, and I gave you twenty dollars. Five, five dollars each. That's not enough? How much money does it need to be? $25. Okay, so, so that's reconciliation, okay? Reconciliation is there's some kind of a debt or a discrepancy. In this case, you had given me five boxes of cookies, and I was supposed to give you $25, but instead I gave you $20, and so we had this discrepancy. We had this problem between us, and reconciliation is solving that problem. We had two choices, three choices maybe. One choice is you could give me, uh, you could, no. I would have to give you, that's how it would work. I would have to give you five more dollars, or I would have to give you back a box of cookies and only take four boxes of cookies, or you could tell me that you were going to pay for that last box of cookies for me. Those are some of the ways that we could reconcile. There might be other ways. You're very creative, and you might be able to come up with other ways that we could reconcile it. But that's reconciliation. It's this, we have a discrepancy, we have a problem, and so we're going to solve it and make it right. Well, that happens in relationships, too. In relationships, somebody does something to hurt another person or injure them some way or offend them, and then we have to have this process of reconciliation where we make it right again. That we restore that relationship. Somebody has to offer forgiveness or somebody has to do something to make up for the bad thing that they did. In some way, you have this reconciliation again. And so this morning, what we're going to talk about is reconciliation with God. How do we reconcile with God? Okay, so let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, 
not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So here, the first thing that we see is this discussion about who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Because when we're talking about reconciliation with God, the most important thing in this equation is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And Colossians 1 verse 19 says this, For in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Jesus was a man, and in that man all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. To live in that man. All the fullness of God. In fact, if we back up a few verses, we can see uh, how Jesus is described. In verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Therefore, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Listen to this description of who Jesus is. Right? Oftentimes when we think of, of Jesus, we think of the man Jesus and his earthly ministry. But, but Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, has existed since the beginning. Before the beginning. He is the image of the invisible God. That's who the, the man Jesus is. He presents to us the image of who the invisible God is. He's the firstborn of all creation, preeminent in all creation. For by him all things were created. By the second person of the, the Trinity, all things were created. And when we say all things, we mean all things, all things. All things were created in heaven and on earth, everything visible and everything invisible. Every throne, every dominion, every ruler, every authority, all things came by and through the second person of the Trinity who we call Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. When we read the Genesis account, and it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Jesus was there. And by him and through him and for him, all things were created. That is who Jesus is. He is God. He's before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, which is the church. He's the beginning. And then it says, 
He's even the firstborn from the dead. The first one to be resurrected from the dead so that in absolutely every category, in every way, he is preeminent. He is the supreme being. That is who Jesus is. That's who Jesus is. There is, there's no such thing as, well, Jesus was a good teacher. That's, that's just not sufficient. He wasn't just a rabbi. He wasn't just a miracle worker. He wasn't just a prophet. Not just the greatest prophet of God. This is God himself enfleshed. God who has become man. God who has existed eternally and by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. Everything was created by him for his own glory. That's who Jesus is. We we have to stop here and, and camp on this and harp on this before we move on to reconciliation with God because if we don't fully understand who Jesus is, we don't fully understand what happened at the reconciliation. We have to understand that Jesus is not like us. He was a man like us. He was tempted in every way like us. Scripture tells us that. But he was both God and man. Unlike us. Perfect in every way. Unlike us. He was both like us and not like us. And so it is this Jesus, the one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, it is through him, verse 20, through him, uh, let me read 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Listen, If we back up those couple of verses, listen to verse 16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Now listen to verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. It is God who has reconciled to himself. All things. There is no one who is reconciled to God who was not reconciled by Jesus. Whether in heaven or on earth, no one is reconciled to God unless they are reconciled through Jesus. That's the point of this. And through him to reconcile to himself all things. There's not a, another way. There there isn't a different way to have proper relationship with God, to have reconciliation with God. There, There is no other way. Jesus is the only way. He is unique. He is unique in having been the one who created all things and then who said, now all things being broken, I will restore them to myself. I will provide the means by which people may be reconciled to me. 
through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, but making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus said, I, I'm, this is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to reconcile everybody to me, and the way that I'm going to do it is I am going to die on their behalf so that they might be reconciled to me. So he makes, he makes this peace, this relational reconciliation between people and God through his death, through his blood on the cross. So here's how I think about this. I was trying to think about an illustration, and, and the illustration that I came up with is um, the Hatfields and the McCoys. You know, the Hatfields and the McCoys, the, the, those two uh, feuding families that were at war with one another. It, that for generations, these two families were at war with one another. Let's pretend, just this is not historical now, this is just an illustration, okay? But let's pretend that all of the blame could be put on the McCoys. That they, from the beginning, were the ones who had instigated the problem and perpetuated the problem. That no matter what the Hatfields did, the McCoys were determined that they were in the wrong and that they were, were going to attack them. Okay, that the McCoys were going to attack the Hatfields because, but it was all the blame is completely on the McCoys. Now let's say, now let's say a son of the Hatfields says, you know what? I want to change something. I want to change this. And so that son of the Hatfield went over and became a McCoy. And having gone over and become a McCoy, he then starts to pay for all of the things that the McCoys had done to the Hatfields. And in every case, in every possible way, in every offense that had been made, that son, who had started off as a Hatfield, had become a McCoy, now paid everything so that the Hatfields and the McCoys could be uh, restored. And then says, okay, now I have paid all of the debts, I have righted all of the wrongs, any McCoy who would like to be a Hatfield, you may be adopted as a Hatfield. And we can be one family now. Now, it's kind of a weird illustration, right? But this is what Jesus has done for us. God himself saw that the issues that we had with him, and we'll, we'll look at those in just a moment, but he saw the brokenness in relationship and recognized that all of the problem was on our end. It was completely on the side of people, and he said, here's what I'm going to do. As God, I'm going to become people. I'm going to become a person, and as a person, I am going to pay for all of the sins of people. So that then anyone who wants to can accept my payments and be adopted into God's family. Adopted as his children. 
adopted so that they might have a heavenly father. This is what Jesus has done. That through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So that you, verse 21, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So that even you, who were once alienated from God and hostile in mind toward him and doing evil deeds, might be reconciled to God. These are, are, are not uh, the best adjectives or descriptors that I would like to have used of me. Alienated, separated, isolated, sort of cast off. Hostile in mind. Doing evil deeds. And yet that's the description of who we are in our flesh. Apart from God, that's the description of, of who we are. We are alienated from God. We have this, this uh, relation, relational distance from God. And we are hostile in mind toward God. We don't want to acknowledge Him as God. We don't want to acknowledge Him as the Creator. We don't want to honor Him as the Supreme Being. And because of that, we do evil deeds. We do the things that should not be done. We, we satisfy the lusts of the flesh. We promote ourselves. We do things that ought not be done. Things that are not holy and do not honor God. And that is why we need someone to come and provide reconciliation. It's because of that brokenness. Now we, we have maybe said at times, you know, it's not that I'm hostile toward God, it's just that I don't care. I feel like God is distant from me, and so I am distant from Him. I've talked with people about that, that they say, you know what, I, I don't know whether or not God exists. I just don't think it matters to me whether or not God exists. That's hostile toward God. God created everything. And he created everything for his own glory. So that we might know and see how awesome and wonderful he is. And people are willy, willfully ignoring that, refusing to acknowledge the glorious nature of God. Alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. For those, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. 
That's what Jesus did on the cross. In his flesh, he came. He became a man, took on flesh, and in flesh lived a blameless life, and yet accepted the death that we deserve, the punishment for our sins. All sin uh, requires death, and Jesus said, I will take that death that is required. in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Think about, think about that. We who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, now are, are transformed by the work of Jesus so that he has made us holy. That is, set apart, not apart from God, but set apart for God. Holy and sanctified for Him. Blameless and above reproach. Now, I may be a lot of things, but I don't think I am blameless. I may be a decent person, and I might try hard sometimes, but I don't think that I could ever claim to be blameless. Blameless is no blame can be attached to you. Here, here's an illustration from Winnie the Pooh. I, I love Winnie the Pooh. It, it is amazing to me that I don't use Winnie the Pooh as illustrations more often. But, but here's, here's a owl... Winnie the Pooh and Piglet are at Owl's house. They've gone to Owl's house for tea, and Owl's house has just blown over in the wind. Pooh, said Owl severely, did you do that? No, said Pooh humbly. I, I don't think so. Then who did? I think it was the wind, said Piglet. I think your house has blown down. Oh, is that it? I thought it was Pooh. No, said Pooh. If it was the wind, said Owl, considering the matter, then it isn't Pooh's fault. No blame can be attached to him. And with these kind words, he flew up to look at his ceiling. Piglet, called Pooh in a loud whisper, and Piglet leaned down to him. Yes, Pooh? What did he say was attached to me? He said he didn't blame you. It wasn't Pooh's fault. No blame could be attached to him. He was blameless. The wind had blown it over. You couldn't blame Pooh. He was just in the house. You and I have sinned. We have not acknowledged God as God. We have not treated Him as holy. We have not treated other people as those who are image bearers of God. We are blameworthy for our sin. And yet, in Christ, because of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf, He makes us blameless. No blame can be attached to us. 
How does that work? Completely scrubbed free of all blame. Because Jesus says, their sins have been removed. They are now above reproach because of Jesus. Because God so loved the world that he sent his son who took on flesh to walk among us to take our sins upon himself and pay the punishment for those sins so that we might be free. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the good news about who Jesus is. That we who are sinners, alienated from God and having done uh, evil deeds, we have been cleansed of our evil deeds and reconciled with God. What do we have to do? If Jesus has done all of that, then what do we have to do? He has done this in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This is the good news. The good news is that Jesus has come and he has died to pay the punishment for your sins so that you can be reconciled with God. That is the good news. And if you believe that, if you hope in that, if you cling to that, you will be saved. You will be saved. My problem is, is that instead of accepting that, instead of accepting that I am blameworthy and am made blameless by Jesus, instead I want to excuse the sin. I want to shift the blame. Travis, you sinned. Yes, technically that's true. However, if you check the record, you will note it wasn't my fault. I was pushed into it. I didn't do it on purpose. It just sort of happened. I didn't know any better. The woman made me do it. I want to shift the blame. I want to make excuses for why I did sin. I don't want anybody to, at some point, point a finger and acknowledge, yep, that was me. I did that. I would much rather you think that I was just good by my own nature because of how great I am. That's why I was good. But instead, what we recognize is that there is no way for us to make up the difference. Because of our sin, because of our separation from God, there is nothing that we can do to overcome that. There's nothing that we can do to reconcile ourselves to God. There are a lot of people that want to try. 
Oh Lord, we thank you. We thank you that while we were alienated from you, hostile in mind and doing evil deeds, yet you have come. In that state where we deserved nothing, yet you loved us so much that you came to give your life for us so that we might be saved, so that we might be holy and blameless and above reproach before you. You who know everything that we have ever done will yet look at us and say, you are blameless in my sight. We thank you for that gift, and we praise you for it. In your name, amen.